This is your host, Vernon Terrell with Grace Ministries International, and it's time for Walking Free. And welcome back. We have an exciting guest, a fun guest with us today, Yolanda. Yolanda James, now James, right? Yes. And uh, Yolanda, would you uh, tell us a little bit, first of, first of all, what ministry are you with and where you're located and all that good stuff? Okay. So um, my ministry is uh, New Heart Living, and uh, I co-founded it with my late husband, Ken Stith. And uh, we've been in ministry um, well over 25 years um, at another um, ministry in our area, but God led us to start New Heart Living. We are in the Washington, D.C. area, um, which services uh, in person, it services Maryland, D.C., and Northern Virginia. However, all of our ministry, classes, counseling, everything we do online virtually. And mm. we've been doing that uh, several years before COVID. So uh, it's just we have better access to people outside of our area to provide counseling online. We're finding the same thing at Grace Ministries. We're, you know, we... Uh, we have a building, a nice building, and nobody comes to it. And yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that, and, and we asked our folks too, as I'm sure you did, and said, mm-hmm. hey, do you, do you prefer online or coming in? And all but I think three people said, yeah, yeah we like online. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just seemed like the smart move for us because our traffic, not unlike Atlanta traffic, is insane. And uh, it's really hard for people to get from Northern Virginia to Maryland and vice versa, and then throwing D.C. into the mix. It just makes for a big headache. And then when we have weather constraints, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we could get a six or eight inch snowstorm and nobody's going anywhere in this town. Well, we could get a quarter inch snow <laughs> flurry and nobody's going anywhere in this town. Yeah, we all laugh at you guys. I'm, we're used to being laughed at. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you know, I when we do refer often, uh, we like to tell folks about Yolanda and her team. Uh, of counselors up in that area, and just a great, uh, wonderful ministry, great resource. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your own personal story and really your personal journey uh, when it comes to uh, discovering God's grace. Mm -hmm. Were you always, well, first of all, um, were you basically a Christian since birth? Uh, and I should say physical birth, uh, or you know, I, which we know is not right. But uh, did you grow up in a Christian family? How did you find um, the gospel? And then how did you really understand grace? How did all that come about for you? Well, let me tell you. So fasten your seatbelt because it's Mm-mm. a story. 
Mary. Mm. Uh, I do talk about all of this in my book, Valley Life by Yolanda Cohen-Stith. But um, going back to my uh, family of origin, I was uh, born into a Jewish family. Uh, both of my parents are Jew were Jewish, and that's how we were raised. Um, I, being the youngest of three, uh, became very, um, uh, I guess, discouraged or, or frustrated is a better word uh, within Judaism because, you know, I wanted answers. I wanted answers like what happens to us when we die and, mm. and who is this Messiah that my Hebrew school teacher talked about? I mean, nobody had answers for me. So that began a quest in my teen years. And um, when I was, let's see, I think 23 years old, uh, I was managing uh, a women's apparel store. And one of my employees was a Christian. And, you know, let me just say, I didn't know the difference between a Christian and a Gentile who is not a Christian. To mm -hmm. me and most Jewish people, if you're not Jewish or Muslim, you're Christian. How about that? So um, that was a little bit of a hurdle. And I started reading the Bible. And, um, and then at uh, 24 years old, uh, my roommate invited me to... Uh, Church. It wasn't her church. It was her sister-in-law's church, um, and it was uh, not a Bible-believing kind of Protestant church. It was very um, liberal, and it was on Easter Sunday, and this is in the late seventies. And um, we were sitting in the back of the church. And the pastor was calling people up to the front to take communion. Now, Vernon, I had no idea what communion was. I mean, this I'd never been in a church in my life. And this was a totally new experience. But I was really open. Uh, my roommate, however, uh, was Catholic. And she refused to go take communion. But I said, well, I'm going to, not even understanding what I was doing. But down at the altar, um, I was. we were all kneeling, and I was down there kneeling. And uh, all of a sudden, all this emotion came up for me. And I started praying silently to God and uh, asked him for forgiveness for what I considered to be and what anyone would consider to be a very wild teenage and early adult life and drugs and sex and all of that. And in that moment, um, when I asked him to forgive me, now I'm talking to God and God says to me, and this is all impressed on my mind, which I can't say was ever happened to me before. Uh, he said, Jesus is your Messiah. And, um, and so I gave my, my heart to him. Wow. And by that time, the pastor had made his way to the end of the line, which is where I was. 
And I'm crying hysterically. Mind you, this is not the kind of church where people display any kind of emotion. Uh, it was a mainline denomination. And so um, I took communion. And um, the next uh, year, um, I met my late husband. He was in the Air Force and stationed in uh, at Ellsworth Air Force Base just outside of Rapid City, South Dakota. That's where I was living at the time. Uh, I moved up there for a job promotion. So um, Ken and I met, we dated a few, for a couple of weeks and, you know, and then ended up marrying the following year. He asked me to marry him and I accepted. And um, there's a whole lot more to that story, but for time, I'm just giving you the, you know. The this is the now. Twitter version right here. Yeah, right. And so um, uh, Ken was not a Christian. And by this time, I still had no idea what the difference between a Christian was and just somebody who uh, culturally lived that life, thought they were Chris Christian, but really never had a rebirth experience, which he didn't. And uh, But he was a really great guy, very kind, very respectful. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. You know, and so there was really no way for me to know uh, where he was. He believed intellectually who Jesus was, but he never, never really uh, surrendered his life to him. So uh, we ended up getting married and um, had children. And um, the, the story that, well, and let me just say, when I came to faith in Jesus, um, and I called him Yeshua back in those days because we started fellowshipping and worshiping in Messianic Jewish congregations mm -hmm. all over the world because he was active duty Air Force. And um, I basically traded one religion for another. So while I, I my relationship with Jesus was intimate, and I had great faith in him. I was totally devoted and I never had any doubts. And uh, I went into the church and with the, the things that God gifted me with began serving. And so serving the Lord and uh, leading the children's ministry and, and doing Bible study and discipling, discipling women uh, became my identity. How long would you say, and, and this is where your book starts to also pick up on this part of this story yeah, and how you came uh, to understand, how long were you in this um, mode, this uh, performance mode, if you will? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, it was a performance mode. Um, 17 years. Wow. And at the conclusion of those 17 years, um, God used circumstances in my life that nearly brought me to a nervous breakdown. So um, I was planning a suicide. Um, I was burnt out. 
I was disillusioned. Like, where the heck is the abundant life? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just had no idea how to plug into the abundant life. I had life inside of me and certainly had a relationship with Christ. It wasn't just intellectual, but there were uh, there were huge missing pieces to the Christian uh, puzzle that that I didn't realize. So, so you had life, but yeah. you weren't experiencing life uh, exactly. at that time. And can you just just tell us a little bit uh, around some of the circumstances that were really impacting you? Was it relational? Was it financial? Was it health? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was uh, just a little color around that? Yeah. Well, um, when Ken retired from the Air Force after 26 years, we had been living in Hawaii and we moved back to the Washington, D.C. area because we just loved it there and we wanted to retire there. And he began his second career and he was in finance. And uh, when we moved, uh, I was, my parents lived in Los Angeles. That's where I was from originally. And um, we decided to buy a house with uh, an in-law suite so that we could move my parents back to uh, Maryland and live with us. And funny thing, um, you know, God engineered the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, he knew about it. He knew about it before Mm -hmm. I was ever born. And so um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to take care of my parents. And without realizing, uh, without knowing my identity in Christ, without knowing how to uh, tap into that life, that abundant life that's in me and live from that source. Uh, My parents moving in with us left me in a place where I was when I was a teenager. Mm. And so everybody assumed their old roles, which didn't work back then, and they certainly weren't working at present. And uh, we did that for about 10 months. And at the same time all of that was happening, my best friend was dying from two terminal diseases, and I was trying to take care of her as well. Um, And so I had all these things that were putting pressure on me uh, in my life that I could not cope with. And so the only way I knew how was to do what I've always done, and that is make it happen in my own strength. Is so, that your personality type to make it happen? Yes. And and maybe what and not maybe deal with the emotion. That's more me. I don't know if that's you. Um, but well, were you making it happen? Yeah, uh, I I I was trying to make it happen. Yes. I was the queen of trying harder, Vernon. And, um, and that's a double-edged sword, as you know. So uh, really, after uh, all the years of walking with the Lord, and then this circumstance in my life, my best friend dying, my parents living with me, my parents and, and the way they do life 
versus the way I do life. It was all coming to um, a head and I I was done. I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And, um, and I told the Lord that I really gave God an ultimatum. I don't advise doing that. <laughs> but I, you know, back in those days, I really didn't understand that. And I just said, Lord, if something doesn't change, I am going to end it. I cannot live this way anymore. And I mean, I was hysterical crying and while I was praying and, you know, I planned to, uh, I had a date in mind and I had a, um, uh, a plan on how I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, fortunately God intervened and I was telling another very close friend of mine, uh, what was going on in my life. And, you know, she just said, you need to get some counseling. And so uh, I asked my pastor, actually, he's a, a Messianic Jewish rabbi. And I asked him, I told him that I was really struggling, I'm not doing well. And, you know, he knew me to be the performer that everybody looked to. And so he did not really know that I was sinking. Uh, I don't think anybody knew. I don't think my husband at the time knew either because I, I know how to put on a front. Um, and I do that because that's my way of dealing with something that I can't handle. Mm -hmm. So um, he said, well, I have a place to send you. And it, it was a, a ministry in Virginia um, about... 35 minutes from where I live. And he was on the board of that ministry. That was Grace Ministries, Inc. And um, so they put me on a waiting list. Um, and about a week later, maybe two weeks, I got a call that they had an opening. So I grabbed that. And for the following five months, I went through their counseling and Vernon, it completely transformed my life. All those, all those uh, pieces to the puzzle that were missing were just falling into place. And what emerged was Jesus as my life and, and, and living from that truth and knowing my identity in Christ completely transformed me. So it, it didn't, you know, my parents ended up moving back to L.A. after 10 months because they weren't happy and we weren't happy. And um, and I just knew that that was a mistake. What I discovered later on, many years later, is it wasn't a mistake. That was God's plan to bring Yolanda to the end of her self-sufficiency. And um, and it worked. Uh, it didn't end there. I think he's still, you know, 27 years later, still working on me uh, to lose confidence in myself and place my confidence in Jesus. Don't you think, I, I think there's many who misunderstand the idea um, of what we term brokenness and that we we. I think can agree. God doesn't want to break you. He likes the new you, but he does want to break 
everything you're depending on for life and security and value and find that uh, and know that he is your source of value and security and life. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and I think that's an ongoing process in the Mm -hmm. lives of his children. Um, But who we are in Christ and our security and and acceptance and all those things are a done deal. Like that's already done. And um, when you know that and you know who you are in Christ and you know what you have inside you, it makes a huge difference than trying to get uh, satisfaction and fullness out of relationships and careers and children and all those things. And there's nothing wrong with all those things, but you just won't find peace and security and value from them. If you do, well, then you're just setting yourself up for failure. Right. That's right. So, so, that, where is, so where's your husband at this time? You, you've gone through yeah. this radical, oh you've my. Been, you're, you're really, you're, you're, in Christ, but you're not experiencing him. You're coming to this point of desperation Mm -hmm. and you find, you really find life that you already had. You start to discover it through some wonderful counselors and then, and the wonderful counselor. And, and now what's happening with your husband? Right. So let me just say, Ken, uh, was not he, he was an adventurous person loved the military because of the adventure you know uh but he was a very cautious person and um he always would say that i was his food taster so if <laughs> I, <laughs> so if i if i tried something and it worked out well for me then he would consider it so we always laughed about that and i knew that about him um, so once I finished completed counseling at Grace Ministries, I was invited to the conference, and then I was invited to do uh, the advanced training. And all the while thinking, you know, I'm just going to take everything. And I had already done that while I was in counseling. I was just taking everything I was learning and reading and all these fabulous books um, back to my congregation and used it with the women that I was discipling. Mm. And so what happened was, as you know, I'm reading all these books for advanced training and, and Ken is very suspicious and, you know, started making comments about it. And, you know, I'd share something about, did you know you were righteous? And, you know, uh, just all of these new uh, concepts and he was just not into it. Like he really thought she's gone off the deep end. <laughs> and so um, I challenged him to read one of the books. And he did. It was uh, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend to uh, listeners. And he read the book and he comes up to me. I, I must have been in the bedroom 
studying or something or reading, comes in and he holds the book up to me and he shakes it and he says, this is the best book that I have ever read. <laughs> wow. Well, so the rest was history for him. He went out to Grace Ministries. Uh, he did uh, some counseling. He didn't do as much counseling as I needed, but he did some counseling and he went through all the training and the two of us became staff members there. Mm. So, you know, we're bringing this truth back to our Messianic Jewish congregation. And one by one, our friends, our pastor, just the, everybody that knew us and respected us started going out there because they're like, we want what she has. And, um, and so it kind of snowballed. Um, we ended up leaving there and and really began going to a traditional church, not traditional in the sense of uh, denominational. It was non-denominational, mm -hmm. but um, we just felt that what was lacking in our circles was understanding of grace. And we wanted to hear a grace message. We wanted to hear about the new covenant life. And so um, uh, we, how, how long was it? I can't, I don't know, maybe 15, 17 years, something like that. But um, then we went through. Uh, That's a big change, by the way. I mean, when you're, yes. when you are with a core group of people and church yes. and you decide that's hard. Yeah, it was really hard. A lot of people didn't understand. You know, Ken was an elder at Son of David um, Messianic Congregation. Um, he was also the main worship leader. And so, you know, it, it, it caused a little bit of upset, our leaving. But um, we did it lovingly, respectfully, and moved on with our lives. At that time, our son, Benjamin, who I write about extensively in my book, uh, was 16 years old. His sister, his older sister, was nine years older. So there's a, a big gap there between them. Um, and he started, I would say, after his bar mitzvah and maybe around uh, the end of middle school, we started seeing some uh, behaviors that were very alarming. And um, I get into a lot of detail about his, his life. It was actually a 10-year um, life of uh, just wanton sin. What can mm -hmm. I say? You know, I mean, he just... Uh, it was rebellion and was, going his way. Yeah, totally. And even though, you know, he always liked going to church, he was never resistant to God, but he was living life his way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he, he got into uh, drugs and then stealing. And, of course, the lying was pathological. And so it was a real, real problem. And we tried everything we could for 10 years to help him. Mind you, uh, I am uh, my probably my chief uh, way of coping and 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 getting my needs met 
as a child of God would be through helping, helping, caretaking, rescuing, you name it. We have a term for that. It's called codependency. And, um, and of course, God exposed all of that in my life during those early years at Grace Ministries, and even actually before that. And so um, I got, we got to a place uh, after two rehabs, um, uh, a jail sentence of uh, 20 months, was it 20 months? 19 months jail sentence, um, on and on and on. Emergency room visits, you name it, uh, where we were just done. And so we told our son, Ben, that um, we could no longer be on this roller coaster ride with him. And right before that, he uh, overdosed on drugs and he had jumped out of a, you know, using psychedelics and God mm -hmm. knows what else, jumped out of a third story window and ended up in shock trauma in Baltimore. And so, uh, uh, by the grace of God, he was okay, mostly, except for, you know, minor contusions. Mm -hmm. And that's when I told him, I said, you know, we'd really like you to go to an inpatient uh, therapeutic and recovery place out of state. Absolutely not, he said. And um, very resistant, very angry. And I said, okay, that's okay. It is your life. You're an adult. He was uh, 24 by this time. Mind you, this started, you know, like when he was 15. Right. So, um, you know, that's where my try harder stuff kept getting. And, I, and I, I'd go back to God and I surrender him to God and I would, you know, um, pray uh, without ceasing. And so many are... Our faith community, everybody was praying for him. And he just refused. And I said, that's fine. It's your life and you don't have to go. But uh, we're no longer going to be in your life because we can't do this with you anymore. Uh, we were heavily in debt because of all the things that we, the therapy and everything that we tried to help him with. Um, and so we hung up the phone. I validated him and, you know, reminded him how much we love him. And I said, if you ever change your mind, just call me. But in the meantime, don't come to the house, don't text and don't phone us. And that's the way it was. And that is where we will end for now until next week. This stuff is raw. It's real. It's life. And when life happens like that, whether it's a wayward son or daughter or a career that's not going in the right direction or finances or other relationships, what do you do? How do you deal with that? Is your faith just words or is it real? That's the subtitle of the podcast, where we need to stop talking and start walking. And it's hard. 
It's not easy. And yes, we encourage you to talk. We want you to talk to somebody. Don't go it alone. Talk to a pastor, friends, a counselor. You need community in times like this. But at the end of the day, it comes down to is your faith real or is it just words? And I encourage you, as I often do, to ask the Father, your Heavenly Father who loves you so much, ask Him, Father, what are my next steps in this situation? Give me wisdom for that next step. And then you take that step of faith. You have stopped talking and you have started walking. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gmint.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.